What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jared Magazine, just your neighborly normal guy with a lazy eye, here chatting with an individual that has an unbelievable story to tell. And wow, do we have an incredible guest on today. Kara Golden joins the podcast, and she is the CEO and founder of Hint, best known for that beautiful, crisp tasting Hint water. Guys, I became obsessed with Hint back uh, last summer, and it is honestly like the best way to drink water, in my opinion. I think like water can be very boring sometimes, and as a person that uh, lived a life in water as a swimmer, it's hard to believe I can say that. But drinking water was never my favorite thing to do, and Hint made that possible. But Kara's story is quite fascinating because and you'll hear it in the interview, she calls herself an accidental entrepreneur. And it's funny because when you think of an entrepreneur, you think of someone who's always been driven to start their own company, to be the next unicorn, to be the next Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, whatever it is, to find the next unicorn out there. And Kara just kind of turned a uh, healthy eating or drinking habit into this incredibly successful business. So a very exciting story to be shared on this podcast. I'm so excited to introduce many of you to the one and only Kara Golden. This is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. All right, everyone, we have a wonderful guest on today's show. Kara Golden is the founder and CEO of Hint best known for the award-winning Hint Water, the leading unsweetened flavored water. She has received numerous accolades, including being named EY Entrepreneur of the Year in 2017 and one of InStyle's 2019 Badass 50. Previously, Kara was uh, VP of Shopping Partnerships at America Online, better known as AOL. She hosts the podcast, The Kara Golden Show. Her first book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, was released in October of 2020 and is now a Wall Street Journal and Amazon bestseller. Kara, thank you so much for coming on. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. And it was so exciting to see you with your one liter size bottle of Hint Watermelon. So yes. that's uh, that's great. Cheers to that. <laughs> uh, I love it. So I, I, I feel like you know, a lot has happened, obviously, in the past few months. Do you feel like a bit of a, a, like in a sigh of relief mode almost right now after leading a company through the bulk of a 15-month pandemic and finally having some signs of reopening? What have like the past few months been like for you and the business? So we are, am I getting a sigh or giving off a sigh of relief or however I want to think about that you know we've been so busy through this pandemic um you know we we are a an essential product so of course i knew that we were always essential but um that had new meaning when your country goes into pandemic status where you're responsible for making sure that you're actually producing uh products so that there's enough food and water supply on the shelves so as a FDA regulated product, uh, which we are. Not all water, by the way, is, is FDA regulated. We fall under that category because we use fruit in our product. So we're regulated by the FDA. And, and like I said, as an essential product, um, we learned very, very quickly what that was last March, 2020, when 
um, you know, we were told that we had to make sure not only that we were running our, our plants 24 hours a day, but also that we were doing, you know, best practices to make sure that store shelves were getting stocked. As you remember, you know, last spring, I mean, it was oh, crazy, right. Yeah. And it was really tough for people to find the product. So our whole team was, you know, being told while everybody else was being told shelter in place, our team was like, except for you. And so running a company, you know, that was, you know, trying to lead a company that had never gone through this. And I certainly had never been through it. It was, right. uh, you know, it was, a, it was a first, um, you know, hopefully a last um, in, in many ways, but, uh, yes. but, you know, it was, it was crazy, but I think more than anything, it's, I kind of think about so many of the challenges over the last, we started our company 16 years ago that really prepared me um, mm. for this. And not that I had ever managed during a pandemic, but I think the more challenging times that you go through, what you realize is that you made it through, right? Yeah. And you learn some lessons. And so, you know, for me, walking into this, there were so many things in the past that I kind of looked back on and, and thought, okay, well, I didn't think we were going to be able to do this then. And then we were, and so you gain strength, I guess mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to say from those challenging times. And, and, um, but huge growth year for us. And, uh, we went into, we knew we were going into at the beginning of 2020, um, in addition to many of the retailers we were already in, we knew we were going into Sam's Club and Walmart and uh, Aldi as well. Uh, but then we got a phone call in April of 2020 from Costco and we do uh -huh. everything in the U.S. So we create, um, you know, we blow our own bottles at the factory. We, um, we do, you know, create obviously our own fruit, everything is done here in the US. And so that ends up not to be the case with many beverage companies where right. maybe there's a component like most of the cans that are uh, that you see beverage companies using are actually created in China. Mm -hmm. um, there's a reason for that, but uh, we don't actually use cans at all um, on right. our product for a variety of reasons. But when we got this phone call from Costco, they said that they had a lot of empty store shelves. And the reason was because a lot of people were waiting for these containers to be coming from other countries. And because Asia was on a different schedule, right? right. They were a little ahead of the US right. in terms of where this virus was hitting, those factories closed. And mm -hmm. so none of the you know cans were coming into the US at that time. So we ended up picking up uh, Costco, we went chain wide in Costco, which I mean, it was just absolutely insane. Yeah. And what, and there are many people who would look at kind of what we accomplished in during 2020, uh, going into Walmart, going into Costco, going into Aldi, going into Sam's Club, all in the same year as impossible. Stupid. Yeah, almost like fighting I mean, off more than you could chew. Right. So, like, and, but we really didn't have a choice, mm -hmm. right. We, we felt like it's, you know, let's just go, let's throw the gas on and let's do it. And luckily, you know, we had been in business for long enough and kind of had built, you know, the core mm -hmm. of the company up the right way that we were ready to sort of, you know, put it into overdrive, I guess is the best way to say it. So 
that that really you know we're we're not we're not quieting down yet by any stretch no. so it's uh yeah so i don't know if we're really breathing quite yet it's been it's been a crazy 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 time yeah i guess more just on i guess like the personal level just being able to go do something else on the, you know something else but yeah it sounds like it's uh, all gas no breaks right now and and I guess like to to kind of start at the beginning of all this, right? We like we have a saying on our show, every story has a beginning. So I kind of want to jump right into the beginning of yours. Uh, your dad was a part of Armor Food Company, later mm-hmm. to be acquired by the giant food conglomerate uh, ConAgra. What you told us in the book was that he he basically revolutionized frozen meals and and invented what we now call the healthy choice, right? The mm-hmm. the frozen healthy choice. Now it wasn't all like sunshine in, in in this type of endeavor, but can you kind of take us through what your father went through and maybe the lessons you learn and that you've taken away in your own entrepreneurial quest? Yeah, so I I remember my mom actually had gone back to work when I went to kindergarten, mm-hmm. and so she I we had five kids in our family. I was the last of them. And my mom was like, I'm, I'm going back to work. I'm, I'm ready for adult time. Now I've done my kid thing. I'm going to be able to do this. And, and, you know, it's funny because my dad, very old school, I mean, it was, uh, you know, kind of the times too, where he was thinking, okay, well, who's going to make me dinner because she wanted to get into fashion. And so she was working in a department store and she sometimes had to work evenings. And so he, um, the, the option for frozen dinners was really like there were two, but the right. main one was Stouffer's TV dinners and he, they were just nasty looking. And right. I don't know if anyone remembers them. I don't even know if they're still around, frankly, but they're really, they were pretty bad. Yeah, And it was like mystery meat got, you know, sort of, that's what everybody called it. And nobody was going to eat these. And so my dad just was like, instead of actually learning to cook, which would have been much more logical, my dad instead thought, I need to, I work for a food company, maybe I can develop this idea. And so he went to um, his manager at Armour Food Company, and he said, can I develop, you know, this 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 concept that, mm. that it would go and compete? And actually, the original name of it was called Dinner Classics. And it's funny, because he had no idea what he was doing. I mean, he had worked on different foods and different divisions within armor prior to this, but he had no idea what he was doing. He had never developed a brand. And so, you know, as I talk about him in the book, I think he was, he was like a frustrated entrepreneur because he went through many of the same steps that maybe I did in starting hint, but you know, the, the beauty of it was that he had the capital, right? He was given a budget, he was given cash to go play with. And then when they pronounced it as good enough, then he actually had this large company that was able to take it into the stores. Like we didn't have that. I mean, instead it was me just like driving my grand Cherokee around and saying, Hey, want a drink by a tech executive? I've never had any industry experience or anything. Oh, we'll get into that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, I think like that's, that's what I saw early. I, I didn't actually see that piece until, of course, I started my own company, right. how much in many ways it was easier for him to do that. 
But on the other hand, what he did do was compete. He competed against other products that needed to be in the frozen case, not just outside of Armor Food Company, but inside of Armor Food Company. He had to compete internally. And so if you think about, you know, in, in my world, in the beverage world, you think about the brand managers of at, inside of Coca-Cola. There's mm-hmm. vitamin water, there's Coke, there's Diet Coke, there's Dasani. They're all fighting maybe friendly fighting, but they're all fighting for shelf space. Right. It's all competition at the end. It's all competition internally. And so I learned that at an incredibly early age. And Mm. I didn't even like know why I learned it. Right. Right. Which I think is, is a whole other topic. And what I talk a lot about, about your, your journey, like you're learning things along the way. They're kind of weird and kind of odd. And you're not really sure but I'm such a big believer that those are placed into your journey to have some kind of purpose. And so that was number one. Number two, I, I would say uh, that, you know, again, my dad really had to look externally outside of Armour Food Company for, um, for sources, for to actually put, you know, something that wasn't mystery meat together into this brand. Mm -hmm. And so he started calling around and he figured out that there were these shrimp fishermen off the coast of Georgia and that he, you know, got on a plane and went to Georgia and met with these guys. And, you know, he even went out on the boats and built these relationships with, um, you know, these gentlemen and, And I remember him coming home and sharing stories about how he found the best shrimp and, you know, that these guys go out at 430 in the morning. And again, I'm just a little girl. I'm like, you know, six, seven years old. I'm like, well, who makes the kids breakfast, you know? And he's like, they just hopefully, you know, their mom does because they're out on the shrimp boat. And I'm like, wow, that's like, they don't even stay for breakfast like that's just crazy and 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 so what I realized I mean there's a lot of stories in there but I realized early on that like sourcing and things like that are you know just so important and your relationships with, with your suppliers as well you know my dad ended up you know long sort of a lot in between but after they were acquired by ConAgra when I was in high school, my dad was actually laid off by ConAgra for not having an MBA. I'm waiting for that CNN special that talks about, you know, the decades when they talk MBAs. If you didn't have an MBA and you were in business, then you you had a ceiling, a very, very moderately low ceiling. Yeah. And, and so there were cuts in the company and it didn't matter that my dad was responsible for this incredible business that he had built up. They, they found that they could put somebody with an MBA in to manage this business. And I, I remember being a kid in high school thinking, well, that's not fair. I mean, why did that happen? And, you know, and he was like, because I don't have an MBA. And again, I mean, I was, you know, probably not the nicest high school kid in the world either saying, well, why don't you just go get an MBA? And he couldn't, right? right. It, it was, just, I mean, he could have. Right. But, but it again, wasn't readily accessible as it is today, even like. No, he's in his fifties at right. this point and he's, you know, he's in his mid fifties and 
here he is thinking he's kind of heading towards the end of his career. His pension was taken away. That was back in the day when there's pensions, everything was gone. Right. And I was like, what, what, <laughs> like what, what just happened here? And I think that, you know, there are lots of stories in there too, but I think that one in particular is one around there, there is no sure thing. Right. And mm -hmm. so you better enjoy what you're doing and you better appreciate you know, what you're learning at every step along the way, because it could change because he was totally blindsided by that happening. And, you know, and it did. And in the end, what he ended up being out of work for two years, and then the shrimp fishermen were actually the ones that helped him to get a job back at ConAgra, because they wouldn't source <laughs> the shrimp um, to ConAgra because none of them, I mean, I don't even think they had college degrees maybe even some didn't even have high school degrees right. and certainly not mbas but they were like well you're buying product from from us so why are you buying our shrimp right if right. we needed an mba so it's a story of you know having these relationships with your with your suppliers with your sources all of those things i think are you know incredibly important absolutely and i think you brought up an interesting point i think of like needing an MBA back in the day. And, and I think obviously times have changed and it's more of like a, a choice, I think now for young professionals to go for back sure. and get their MBA. But I want to take a, another quick step back to, I think an even more important time for kids and young professionals right now, you know, you, in your book, you talked a lot about how you had a bunch of different high school jobs and, and kind of doing anything under the sun, whether it was waitressing, whether it was working at the candy shop or the toy store, do you have a, a favorite one? And like, what was your, what was your favorite high school summer job? Oh, well, and I worked all through, you know, college and yeah, high right. school, but I mean, I, I really wanted to make money and mm. I felt like, you know, whatever I could do to, I, I had two criteria, making money. And also I wanted to enjoy what I was doing right. and I wanted to not be bored. And there was some, all, always some kind of social aspect to it. So um, one of my, so I talked in the book about working at a toy store. I mean, mm -hmm. that was a little early. That was when I was 14 years old, everything right. I learned about working in a toy store. So I ended up, uh, do you want me to tell that story? Sure. About the yeah. Toy store? yeah. Sure. So I ended yeah. up getting in this job in a toy store. My mom used to, uh, go to this fabric store and she dragged me into this fabric store. If any kid is out there and has a mom like my mom that, you know, always would go into these fabric stores. And I thought, Oh my God, don't do this to me again. Like, tell me that you're going to the fabric store. For is me, it was you? Lowe's. For me, it was like, if my dad had to go to the hardware store, I was like, this is the worst place the worst. In, on planet yeah. earth for anyone under the age of 11. <laughs> yeah. And you did not like want to go there. And no. so I was, so my mom would go to this fabric store and then one day she went to this fabric store and there was a toy store next door. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go into the toy store and look around and play with some of the toys. So when I went in there that I had been in there a couple of times and the lady, Nancy, who owned the store said, uh, would you ever want a job here? And I thought a job, <laughs> well, like, what would I do? And she right, said, right. you can do the cash register. I'm 14 years old. And I'm thinking, <laughs> uh, 
wow, yeah, I'll take a job. And she said, well, I really need somebody to do the cash register on Sundays. And so uh, I remember, you know, filling out an application and it was, and, and I think I, I don't even think I like lied about my age. I think I just <laughs> left it blank. I was just, she was in such a hurry to want to hire me so because she wanted somebody to do the Sunday. Yeah. And so I thought, okay. And it was a small toy store. Right. It was like totally doable to have one person in the store. So I take the job and I remember sitting down at dinner that night and telling my parents, I'm like, I got a job. And they were like, what? You got a right. job? And I said, yeah, I got a job. I'm, I'm going to be working at Alphabet Toy Store. And I'm thinking I'm, you know, big pimping at this point, but I'm like 14, you know, yeah. I've got this thing going on. Right. And, they, and my dad said, so you're, how old are you? And I, I was like, I'm, I'm 14. And he said, well, that's what I thought. How did you get a job? And I right. said, she offered me the job. And he's like, does she know that you're not 16 years old? And I said, I don't know. We didn't mm -hmm. talk about that. And he said, well, did you show her your driver's license? I'm like, I'm 14. I don't have a driver's license. I didn't, right. I didn't have anything with me. So she just went along with it. And, you know, it's funny because I remember that first day, like working the cash register, something to, I mean, the, the concept of actually, I could actually count people's money. And I mean, this is, there were credit cards and stuff, but people still, a lot of people pay cash and checks right. and whatever. Right. And so I, I mean, I just really, I feel like I almost grew up overnight, like doing mm. that. Like I was so excited that I had this job. So then people actually came into the store and asked for recommendations. And of course I'm a kid. So I'm giving people recommendations based on what I like and what I see. And, you know, and I figured out really, really quickly that, you know, there were certain age groups where I could recommend two or three things right. and then right. I could get the sale, right? Like I figured the st stuff out really fast. And then I remember Nancy said to me one day, don't sell too much of that because the margins on that product are not as good as the margins on this other product. And I was oh, like, she's teaching you what, upselling what and everything. Yeah. yeah. Like, what do you mean? And she said, well, the margins on this product are really, really good. And I said, oh, really interesting. And so then, okay, I'm like taking note of this. And then the next day, what I figured out is if I pushed it, in one direction. And again, these are all like great gifts and great toys that people, right, right. you know, would they'd, they'd enjoy, but I thought, okay, great. I'll push that because it has higher margins. So I came back home that night for dinner and I'd say, and I told my dad, I said, I learned all about margins today. And he was like, what? Like what? <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah. So I was, you know, recommend recommending these three, but then I found out that the margins in this one product were higher. And it was just, I, I learned so much in that job. And, mm -hmm. and then again, what I figured out too, was that I'm learning in this after school and weekend job, but then I'm going to school and I'm, and we're starting to talk about margins and we're saying, and, and the whole thing like came together, right? right. Cause it was real. Right. at this point. And so anyway, it was just that I loved, loved, loved that. And then finally, that's when uh, Nancy said to me, Hey, maybe, 
you want to come to the toy show with me? And I said, oh, I mean, I'm 14. I, I love to go to toy shows. Why not? And then she had me doing the buying at the toy show because she was like, you're way better at this than, <laughs> you know, and I, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. And so it was just, I mean, there's so many lessons there. I think that, you know, the key thing that I learned early on was that it didn't matter what my experience was. It didn't really matter what my age was. I mean, I'm just jumping in and saying, put me in, yeah. right? Put me in coach. I mean, this is what I want to do. And she did. And I was just learning and I was really excited. I loved what I was doing. My friends were all so jealous that I was like working. <laughs> right. They're like, how did you, you get got to buy job? toys of all things? Right. And I got to buy toys. Right. And, and I, I just, I remember just like really, really enjoying it. And then so many other jobs. I waitressed, um, this great Mexican restaurant. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I talk a lot about that, that whole story in the book and what I learned from that. Um, I also, for a moment, thought that I wanted to um, work in a beauty salon. Like maybe I wanted to be a hairdresser when right. I was in, in high school. And so I got a job at, at the front desk of a you know, beauty salon. And I learned all about scheduling. This is before anyone was doing them online or, mm -hmm. you know, any type of um, computer was being used. It was all like paper and figuring <laughs> all that stuff out. Right. And, and the client's name down with a pen and paper seems yeah. like a lost art. And I was, <laughs> and I, yeah. And I mean, I was learning about ingredients and, right. and lots of different things. But again, when you're in it, you don't even know what you're learning, mm -hmm. right? You're just sort of like trying, I don't know, you're like trying to keep your head above water because it's all new and it's all, it's, you're in a place where, yeah, I mean, this is all new to you right. and you're, and, and oftentimes when you jump into environments where everyone has much more experience than you and you feel like, you know, eventually they're going to find you out that you're like, you know, you know, you can do it, but right. you're kind of thinking, ah, I, I mean, I'm kind of lame. Like, I don't know <laughs> everything that they know. Right. And so I was sort of a glutton for punishment and putting myself into those situations, I think more than anything, because I was curious mm -hmm. and which I think is an aspect that is probably one that, you know, the thread that I see amongst every entrepreneur and so many different industries is that curiosity and, and also that ability to kind of jump in and want to learn. Mm -hmm. So that need for learning, um, it's okay. You're humbled by the idea that you're not going to be the most knowledgeable in the room. Um, all of those things, I think, ultimately help you to, um, you know, start your own company eventually. But those early days of I was I, I was getting really good at sort of jumping into industries that I knew nothing about at a very young age. Right, right. It's it's funny. It's like I was in a very similar spot. I I stuck to one job from age 14 to by the time I was going into my senior year of college. But, you know, I was I, I was a swim coach and like I started as a 14 year old kind of just being like a volunteer assistant. Then by 16, I finally got my first paycheck and like I could like be, you know, a little bit more like have a little bit more say in things and do some more things and be a like bigger coach, I guess. And it was funny, like going into my senior year, the head coach had left for the summer head coaching job. And 
it was big news and like no one knew who should take over what what we should do is there even going to mm-hmm. be a summer swim team and I like talked to my parents I was like I mean I've been doing this for like six summers like can I do you think I could just do it? and I just I jumped in head first I mean I hit the shallow end hard <laughs> I love it I mean it was but it was it like it may have given me some stress ulcers but it was honestly it was the best summer job that I ever had was that last year as a head coach and kind of just as you say, building the airplane as you're flying, you know, I think it's just kind of the, the perfect, you know, perfect storm almost. Well, and that's frankly something that I share with our team too, that if you, if you ever feel like you really want that job, right. You, Mm -hmm. you want to figure out like, how do I get that job one day? If you have an opportunity to actually go do that job, it's like, it's like this little trick, right? This is exactly you know, what you were describing where there was this hole that they needed to fill that in, in your case where, uh, you know, your, your swim coach was leaving and Mm. they needed to hire somebody in to fill that role. You knew that you could fill that role, but maybe you felt like you didn't have the experience. You were still really young, you know, whatever it was, you, you sort of, you doubted yourself right for a minute and then you thought well you know i'm gonna okay i'm gonna go and try and see what happens if you get an opportunity to actually go do that role and sort of show what you can do it's interesting how often that can actually work and you Mm -hmm. will get the job because you just start doing it and then Mm -hmm. people are like well they're already doing the job i mean like it seems to be working out okay right exactly we're going to take a quick break from this interview to hear from our new sponsors over at IPS Surf and Water Sports. This new partnership I'm so stoked about. IPS Surf is an exclusive water sport complex located right on Long Lake in the beautiful lake region of Maine. They offer personalized instruction for a variety of different water sports, including wake surfing, water skiing, and many more. Originally from Westford, Massachusetts, founder and world champion wake surfer Ian Scott found his love and passion for water sports at a very early age. He is dedicated to sharing his years of action sport wisdom with his clients and unlocking that true potential in people that they didn't even realize they had. Guys, entering a new element, especially the water, for many people can be an intimidating journey. So IPS Surf is here to provide a safe and specialized instruction to ensure their customers leave with a smile on their face and that feeling of accomplishment. With professional and qualified instructors, best-in-class towboats, and equipment, IPS Surf is more than ready to host you and your crew out on the lake this summer. It's just two and a half hours north of Boston, and to show our appreciation to our listeners, IPS Surf will be offering two very, very sick packages. We're going to have the normal guy package, and we're going to have the lazy eye package. So let me tell you about these. All right, so the normal guy package, you're going to get 20% off a two-hour individual session. So you can bring yourself and one of your friends with an IPS surf uh, instructor. This is more for the people that are really have an appetite to learn. The normal guy package gives you the best opportunity to focus and improve your skills out on the water. This two-hour session will allow you for that ultimate one-on-one time with a professional instructor centralized on your development. Now, the lazy eye package. This is gonna be your squad package. This is gonna give you 20% off a full day. That's six hours out on the lake with your squad. You could bring 
eight, nine, ten of your closest friends. It's a perfect way to get the whole crew out there enjoying the magic of what IPS Surf has to offer. The Lazy Eye Session will include everything you need for an exceptional day out on the lake with over seven different water sports to choose from. Guys, seven different water sports. You're going to be able to mix and match with your favorite activities for the perfect session you have been dreaming about. We have all been dreaming about what next summer is going to look like. This is an excellent idea for any family or friends outings, birthdays. It's just the perfect day out on the lake. And if you haven't seen any footage of like what IPS Surf has to offer, let me try and paint this picture. So one of the sports that they offer is called wake surfing, which is one of the coolest things that I've ever seen down on the lake. It's an endless wave created by the boat, and it basically allows you to surf this like clean and customizable wave with nothing directly attaching you to the boat. So they offer this like it's just this like you're you're surfing like I'm a SoCal kid you're out there surfing but you're out on the lake. They also have your favorites including like water skiing and wakeboarding. They also offer more of those like technical sports for more of our advanced folks looking to step up their adventure game here which is like barefoot skiing. You've seen those videos on on Instagram, wake kiting and surface latest phenomenon hydrofoiling. So don't just take my word for it. Go visit IPS Surf and Water Sports up in Brigton, Maine, just two and a half hours from Boston to see for yourselves what the hype is all about. Go follow them on Instagram at IPS Surf and go over to IPSSurf.com to book those sessions. Now back to the interview. Exactly. So I kind of want, I want to make sure we get to, to hint yeah. and everything, but uh, you've, you've called yourself an accidental entrepreneur. Can you talk a little bit about like what you mean by that and how do you think it's impacted your path into taking hint to where it is today? Yeah. So I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because I, I never really thought I was going to be an entrepreneur. I meet people every day who share with me that they always knew that they were going to be an entrepreneur and they went right. to school for it. That was not me at all. I, I was always, like I said earlier, doing things that, you know, were, we're kind of jumping into industries and I was okay not being the most knowledgeable person in the room. I was clearly working for, um, you know, amazing entrepreneurs, either directly or indirectly prior to starting Hint, but in tech, a totally different industry right. than beverage. I was, as you mentioned, I was at America Online prior to this. I was the early days of CNN when Ted Turner was still running around the office, um, it was, uh, you know, I mean, can you imagine Ted Turner when, you know, he decided to start a news network? I mean, that was like the only time you could get news was at six and 10 right. on, you know, the, on the ABC or NBC or CBS. So he was definitely considered crazy. Like people mm -hmm. thought, who is this nut that is, you know, right. And, and, and yet today, I mean, you look at what that's become and, and so I had, I had seen a lot of these happen and, and worked in those organizations. And I think that the key thing that I learned was that so many learnings too, but I, I think that the key thing was that if you stay focused on what you're doing and that, you know, you make sure you have enough capital to um, weather storms, all right. of those things, have a great product, have a great team that is supporting you because you can't do it on your own. All of those things led me to be able to go and do my own. And so that's, that's really what I mean. And I think also so many entrepreneurs think 
or aspiring entrepreneurs think that they're either going to be uh, unicorns or, um, or they're going to be failures. And there's so much that happens in between. And I think hearing the stories of uh, entrepreneurs and how they weathered storms is just so incredibly helpful to people because so much can happen in the mm, middle. Absolutely. And then kind of going off that, like when you were really taking hints from that first inaugural idea, and I'll kind of get, I'll fill in a backstory here. You went from, you know, the tech industry, a, a, a very, at the point in time, a very up and coming, you know, you were basically pioneering online shopping for what it is today. Yeah you were drinking a lot of diet Coke. Right. And like, I think in those early nineties, late nineties, like diet soda was like, this is water. If it's zero calories, but then you found out it really wasn't. And so you found drinking water was kind of obviously the healthier alternative, but, and I agree with this, it can be very boring. Right. So you kind of went to putting fruit into your water and, and people thought it was a, it was unbelievable. They thought that you were buying it in stores and, and I don't want to shorten your story for you. I think the question I wanted to ask though, off this was like, when you took, you got off the tech industry and you're like, this is what I want to do. I want to start this. When you were thinking of that inaugural idea and how to build this product, what was the most challenging thing for you before the marketing, before the sales? What was like that one thing that just, you found yourself, you're like, I'm really struggling with this one thing. Yeah. So I think my own doubts that I could actually go do it because I think that, you know, I had, I I think it's, it's really hard when in, in many ways harder when you've built something else that's been successful. So I was, you know, as I mentioned, I was at a few different startups. I was at a little spin out of Apple. That was a a Steve jobs idea called Two market that was doing a CD rum shopping. We were acquired by America online, obviously Steve case, started America Online, built it into this incredible company. Um, And those seven years that I was there were just, those were the prime years of AOL. It was the hockey stick. (laughs) And, and it, it was, it was at that moment, I didn't leave AOL to go and start Hint. I didn't even have the idea for Hint when I was at AOL. I decided I wanted to take a couple of years off and I had three young kids under the age of four. So I wanted to take that time to be a parent and be a mom. And it was during that time that I really started thinking about what I was putting into my kid's body and what I was putting into my own body. And I never really thought about my diet soda habit because as you said, it was, you know, low or zero calories. It was diet, all of the stuff. But when I made this test, I, I made this little swap and did this little test to, uh, to swap out my diet Coke for plain water. That's when I really realized that my own behavior, I would drink plain water, but it was so darn boring. So I started slicing up fruit and I guess I never, I, I, I had this idea and thought, okay, this would be so great if it were for sale in stores. But then I kept thinking 18 reasons why I couldn't actually do it. Right. Right. And so my own doubts, I I knew that I could get in the car and take the bottle to the local store. I didn't know whether or not anyone would want it. Like I feared that buyer that was at the store. Like, what if they said no? (laughs) And then I also 
feared, you know, the customer to some extent. I, there was, it, it was like this little game in my head that would go on where I'd say, oh yeah, customers really want this. And then I'm like, what if they don't really want it? Right. It, it was mm. just this crazy, you know, doubting like game that would go on. And, and, and then I also, even though people had viewed me as very successful, I was a successful tech executive. I was not a successful beverage executive or CPG right. executive. A complete and so, 180 of what you were doing from yeah, the tech and to so beverage. You it's automatically, not, the, it's yeah, not very so linear. You, <laughs> when you're going from one industry to another, that you feel like they know something I don't. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so that was me that I kept thinking if I had all this experience, you know, if I had worked at Pepsi for years, maybe I would know more about this industry and how to get things done. But what I soon learned was, you know, kind of thinking back on, on my dad, like when you work for a large company, it's a very different situation than actually going and being an entrepreneur in this, in, you know, the same industry, even mm -hmm. because your, your go-to-market is not, you don't have a large company that goes and does, you know, giant slotting fees, right? We didn't have any money to pay for slotting fees. We were begging like to get <laughs> on the shelf of these stores. And so what I started, you know, realizing was that if this failed, if this wasn't going to work out, I could always go back to tech and, and I also realized that, you know, having tons of experience was not necessarily the thing that was going to allow me to get my product on the shelf and get consumers to buy it, right? Mm -hmm. Experience didn't bring that. A great product brought that, um, you know, my, my ability to convince the buyers to actually put it on the shelf because I didn't have the slotting fees. Mm -hmm. All of those things were were ways that, you know, ways of stopping me. But instead I kept thinking, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, if I right. just get it on the shelf or, or if I get in my car and mm -hmm. try and go to the store, I've, that's one step, right? right. Now right. I get out of the car and I go into the store and I try and find the buyer. Okay. I'm in the store. That's step two. And I would sit there and play these, like I would gamify the situation for mm -hmm. myself. And I would realize, okay, Thursday's over tomorrow. Now, what am I going to do? And I would keep doing this. And I still do that today. And I think it's, it's a way for people, frankly, not allow fear to force mm -hmm. them to not ever start. Because I think that that's the problem that so many people have. It seems so daunting to go and launch a company or be an entrepreneur. So don't right. call it that, right. right? Don't, don't talk about that. Instead say, I'm going to go get this product on the shelf mm -hmm. at a store. Yeah. I think a lot of us, if, if we're talking entrepreneurially, like we think too big picture, like you, you kind of talked on it. Like I want to be the next unicorn. I want to be the next like Uber, Google, Facebook, whatever it is. But like, for you, I think like the, the, the thing that I love was you're, you, you literally just found out that you were pregnant with your fourth child yeah. and you were like, okay, here's my timeline. Like I have this idea and in eight months, eight or nine months, I'm, I'm going to deliver this child, but I want to have a product on the shelf by that, by that time. And sure enough on Friday, May 27th in 2005, 
at 2 p.m. you had a, a deadline. <laughs> yeah. And and you and you drove to Whole Foods to to basically you know say I need to put this on a shelf today. This was my deadline. Like what like is it do you think we're getting too lost in that big picture? And if we just set those tiny little milestones, that dauntingness of that, like I'm gonna be the next big entrepreneur kind of seems a little bit smaller. Yeah, totally. Like I, I was explaining this to somebody earlier today that I think sometimes it's always great to have a goal, but kind of have it on the shelf. So it's, it's a little hard to reach, right? It's there if you really push yourself to do it, but it's a little tough to reach. And then mm. every day, instead focus on the steps and making progress and know that you may actually go backwards a step and that hopefully tomorrow you'll go forward two steps, right? right? And that's the way entrepreneurism works. And I think so much of the time, as I mentioned before, it, it, it's not so clear as being like the unicorn or the failure. It's really your ability to stay curious and um, you know pivot. If you're going right and that's not the direction that you, you should be going and you know if you continue, you're gonna make the same mistake right. a second time, then figure out how to go left. And something else I talk about a lot is complacency will kill you, right? Mm. It'll kill you in, in your personal life, in your, in, in your work life. And I think that that is the thing that great entrepreneurs know, that they figure out what can they do. They figure out, you know, how do I move forward? Even when you're stuck, you have a mm. pandemic, whatever, you know, the problem is you have your, your customer just, you know, threw you out of the store, not you personally, but maybe your product or your service out of the store, whatever that is, you just get back up again and try and figure out, okay, well, how do I keep going? And I think that that is the most important piece to remember. Yeah. And, and you kind of hinted at it so, and <laughs> to, uh, part, you know, pardon the pun, but let's talk a little bit about that Starbucks story a little bit. So in the fall of 2009, you, you met with a Starbucks buyer up in Seattle uh, and they had asked you to bring the, uh, the kids product version of Hint. The only problem was it was still an idea. It was still in, 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 in preparation and there wasn't an actual sample yet. So in kind of dancing on your feet, you, you end up actually bringing a, a Blackberry hint bottle to the meeting with no samples, but you just took it out of your bag. Like talk a little bit about, Hey, what made you think that was a good idea? And, and it obviously turned out being one, but what was that kind of whole thought process like? Well, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, a somewhat crazy buyer who said to me, you know, don't bring your regular product, bring mm. your kid's product. And, that's when, you know, we landed, obviously couldn't bring Hint on board. We didn't have distribution in airports yet. And right. so uh, we couldn't bring Hint on board the airplane. And so when we landed, uh, my husband said, my husband, who's our chief operating officer said, hey, do we have samples with us or how are we going to get samples? And I said, uh, actually, they told me not to bring samples with us specifically. <laughs> right. It was like, what? Yeah. And again, we had the paper boxes. We had like a prototype, but we right. weren't filled with anything. And so he, you know, he was like, well, that's just absolutely crazy. And of course, I didn't want to not have the meeting with Starbucks. I was sitting in starry eye 
you know, Ville, like, oh my God, we right. got this meeting with a big right. brand and whatever. And I think it's a story of, you know, recognizing that that you have to do what's right for your brand. And, you know, obviously they said, don't bring the product in, but I said, nobody's really going to be able to experience our product unless they taste it. And so we went in actually to, I think, Whole Foods. So when we were up in Seattle and bought a few bottles of, of Hint and I figured, well, I'm just going to keep it in my bag just in case. I mean, I'm not going to give her any samples. I'm just going to drink it. I mean, right. you know, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> and that's when she, when I brought it and I sat down with her and, you know, showed her the prototypes for the kids product. And, um, and then I took out a bottle of Hint Blackberry and she said, oh my gosh, you have Hint with you. And I thought, <gasps> you know, oh my God. And, uh, and I said, I do, but I'm, drinking it. And she said, Oh, do you have another bottle that I could have? I'd love to taste it. And I said, I do. And so always be prepared. You yes, never that's know the moral what's going to, that <laughs> right. That's the moral of that story. And then ultimately we ended up getting into, you know, all the Starbucks after, mm-hmm. after that, that they didn't even end up putting in the kids boxes into Starbucks. Right. They decided to go with the bottles anyway. So again, always be prepared, even though, you know, you may have a, a buyer on the other side of the table who's saying, well, I think I want this, then, you know, just always have a little something in, in your bag that maybe, especially if it's your core product. Yeah. And can I ask a silly question? Is it, is it Blackberry your favorite flavor? If that was the one that kind of puts you in Starbucks or do you have a favorite flavor? <laughs> you know, I, it's funny. I mean, and I think a lot of people feel this way about hint that there are multiple flavors that they really like. I I think that the number one thing that we hear from our consumers is that they like choice. Mm -hmm. And so uh, unlike when you think about, you know, people who are diet Coke fans, for example, they, they just drink diet Coke. That's all they do all day long. You try and, you know, throw a diet Pepsi in there. They're like, oh no, I'm not going to do diet Pepsi. Right. Mm -hmm. And same vice versa. If you're diet Pepsi, you just don't really drink diet Coke. Right. But yet, and, and I think it's the same with so many different, you know, beverage companies where you've got that one thing and that's all you drink all day long with Mm -hmm. Hint, we hear from consumers that maybe they like, you know, Blackberry, they prefer it. Mm-hmm. but they don't, they don't have like a number one. I mean, mm-hmm. our consumer wants, they want choice. And so, you know, and I think that the other reason is, is that they're often drinking like six to eight bottles a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, right now I'm having a peach and, you know, I had a cherry a few minutes ago. I had a watermelon a couple hours before that. I drink a lot of water all, yes, all day long. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm, I'm like drinking all these different flavors. So, but it's also asking me like, what's my favorite kid, right? You can't, you can't do that. That's the exact answer I was almost expecting. We had, we had the founder of a very popular renowned uh, donut shop here in Boston, Paul Delios. He's the co-founder or he's the uh, co-owner of uh, Kane's Donuts. And his first response was, that's like asking me to pick my favorite child. And I was like, no, well. you can't do it, right? <laughs> it's like, um, yeah. And I mean, I think like our consumers, I prefer certain things, but I mean, I'm really a still water drinker, but we mm-hmm. have our fizz product as yes. well. Yes. I drink fizz. I mean, I, I think I probably drink the fizz in the evening more mm-hmm. if I'm, you know, 
if, for example, I, you know, want to have a cocktail and I want to add something to it, our fizz is amazing um, for that. And, you know, it doesn't have any sweeteners in yeah. it. So it's really, really nice. Um, yeah. There you go. Do you have, a, do you have the perfect cocktail to pair with a hint? You know, we've heard this from so many people, but I think that the interesting thing about hint, because it doesn't have the sweeteners in it, that I would say like, the better like vodkas or tequila mm, yeah, you throw yeah. in like a um you know blackberry fizz in with any of these or cherry fizz or um grapefruit um is so good it's mm. just i mean they they're just light and simple and then you add real fruit on top of it and it's just a really really light summer or winter drink there um, you go. <laughs> i think that you know it's just i it, look the the key thing that screws up drinks is when they're too sweet. Yes. I mean, I, I just think, you know, everybody would say that it's like, oh, like either they taste too much like alcohol and you're mm -hmm. using like cheap alcohol, right? right. Or right. you're, or you're using, you know, something that just has too much like sweet. Sweetener. Yeah. For and sure. that's not our product. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I know you have to run really quick, but yeah. in, the in the first page of your book, and I was so glad I saw this, you said, you don't worry, this isn't an autobiography. And I went, phew, because our last question that we ask all of our guests, and I'm super excited to hear your question here. If you were to write your autobiography today, what would be the title of it and why? What would be the title? Uh, that's a great question. Um, gosh, <laughs> I've lived, I mean, I, you know, I think that that's the thing that I still really enjoy what I'm doing. Um, and you know, I think I, I get to ask this question by a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, we've been, I started my company hint 16 years ago and right. I'm still, I'll always be the founder, but I'm still the CEO of the company. And, and, you know, it's very unusual that a CEO is still in. There's a lot of reasons for that. Hopefully mm -hmm. it's because I do a great job, but also, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, you know, I did it right. Right. And I lived the right way. And I had a lot of people around me who, you know, I trusted and, you know, built a great team that could, you know, activate my dream and do ultimately what I want to do. But I think it boils down to, you know, living the life that you want to live and, and the journey. So I'll go with it. that. I love it. Awesome. Well, Kara, I really, really appreciate the time. Such a great time to connect with you. And thank you so much for sharing your story. I'll be sure to list all things you in the description of this podcast, but I wish you thank all you the too. best and uh, yeah, best of luck with everything. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great to connect with you. Yeah, you too. Have a good rest of the week. You too. Take care. I'm so grateful to have Kara on this show. A big thank you to her for spending some time with the podcast, telling us all about her story. I do encourage you all to go check out Undaunted, her incredible book. We obviously didn't get to everything uh, on this one hour show, but I encourage you all to check it out. It's an incredible story. She's an incredible individual, and I'm so excited to see what is next for Hint and, and for Kara. So be sure to go check her out on Instagram, LinkedIn, 
whatever it may be, all things Kara will be found in the description of this week's podcast. Be sure to go get yourself some hint because it is absolutely scorching hot here in New England. I don't know where you are, but it's probably hot because summer months are coming, baby. Anyways, that does it for this week's show. If you like hearing this podcast and you want to see some snippets from these interviews, be sure to go follow us on Instagram at normalguylazyeye. Be sure to like, subscribe, and rate this podcast so it can be heard for many other viewers. Again, thank you guys so much for all the support as always, and I will see you all next Wednesday.